0: Hi and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. My name is Isabel Ross and I'm the coach at Peak Endurance Coaching. Episode 78 is a myth-busting chat with Brody Sharp. Brody is the host of the Run Smarter Podcast and we have previously discussed Red S relative energy deficiency in sport. Brody is a physiotherapist and the owner of the Breakthrough running clinic. He aims to help runners expand their running knowledge and become faster, healthier, smarter runners. <clears throat> Ideal for injured runners and runners looking for injury prevention and elevated performance. His podcast covers tips and tricks to overcome running injuries, interviews with leading researchers, other running podcast recommendations, reviews of running books, and much more. The link to his podcast is in the show notes. In this interview, we discuss some myths that abound in the running community in an effort to establish some truths. Are injuries or persistent niggles ruining your enjoyment of running and hindering your performance? Get on top of these now so that you can get back to the simple joy that is running. Come in and see the specialists at Health and High Performance where they utilise the latest in technology and experience to help you get back to your running best. So to be at your running best, go to healthhp.com.au forward slash run to book an appointment and get back to feeling how good it feels to run without pain. Of course, you can also find them on Instagram, Health High Performance. Please don't forget to get on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review and subscribe. It really does help me get more high profile guests on the podcast. Thank you for your support. I am currently in the process of accepting some new athletes into my coaching programs. If you are interested in getting some quality, structured coaching, I have limited spaces available. Email me on Isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au or DM me on socials. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, Brody, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast.
1: Thanks, Isabel. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to get started.
0: Yeah, no worries. We ch- we chatted earlier this year about Red S, and uh, how have things been going for you in this COVID world since then? Um, uh,
1: look business-wise it's business as usual like i'm thankful enough to have a physio business that's 100 percent online and just started that prior to COVID. so um it's actually quite ahead. opportunistic now that mm. yeah and trying to well now people know what telehealth is and people know what like it um what it kind of looks like now so i um don't have to explain it as often as <laughs> i found myself doing when i very first uh, started but Yeah, podcast-wise, business-wise, it's business as usual, but getting pretty over um, not spending time with friends and family.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally get it. And I'm sure all the listeners do too. Now, um, we've been chatting about busting some running myths. Shall we sort of go through the major myths that are out there?
1: Of course, yeah. Let's, Let's dive in.
0: All right, well, firstly, running increases the likelihood of knee osteoarthritis. I mean, you always hear that whenever you run, people say, "Oh, doesn't that wreck your knees the non runners obviously um, yeah. so so bust that n- myth for us
1: yeah, sure, and we can't really blame runners either because they've been told this by some health professionals, sometimes doctors like they especially those who aren't runners, like you said, that they, they say like especially if you do have knee pain, they're like why are you running then if you have knee pain or why are you a runner? Don't you know it's bad for your knees? And what people think kind of makes sense because if we think osteoarthritis is a condition or a pathology that's wear and tear, that's a, a term that's used quite often. They think it's degenerative. So they think that with repetition, with pounding the pavement, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions, several million times, it's eventually going to wear out. It's eventually going to break down. It's eventually going to degenerate and you know all that, all that fun stuff. So that makes sense. And that's why that belief is out there. And that's why that belief, um, people ring very true. The research, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. And so the research shows that actually pounding the pavement and actually creating that ground reaction force stimulates a lot of bone growth and stimulates a lot of cartilage growth. And if someone is really struggling with, say bone density uh having like a lot of ground reaction force and these kind of shocks that ripple through your body actually stimulates a lot of bone growth and there's an enormous study that's been done which i quote several times seems like several times a day where they have um, they found 125,000 people and well they did a meta-analysis so they collected all the available evidence that's currently out there put it all together and found what the what was the prevalence of osteoarthritis in the knees for certain populations and they found that for recreational runners uh, who do participate in regular activity is the uh, prevalence of osteoarthritis was 3.5 percent so not a whole lot and they found that the for the same population with the same baseline characteristics so the same age the same like um, percentage of gender that kind of thing. But if they're sedentary, their prevalence of osteoarthritis was more than ten percent. Wow. So you're three times more likely to get knee osteoarthritis if you're re- if you're a sedentary type compared to if you're a runner. And so that's very encouraging for runners to show that it's actually good for your knees. And based on runners maintaining a healthy weight, psychologically they're a lot better. Um, they're usually stronger around the areas of the knees because they're. Usually have stronger legs, and like I was explaining before, it stimulates a lot of cartilage growth and a lot of bone growth, and promoting a lot of strength. So, if we know that to be true, then it obviously makes sense why runners have less knee osteoarthritis. And there's been ton of evidence to support as well. If someone does have uh, moderate forms of osteoarthritis, you can still actually run. It's still healthy for the running uh, for the running population to continue running with knee osteoarthritis. But we need to just make sure that they're still maintaining as strong as they can. They're doing a lot of strength work outside of running. They're still maintaining or we're keeping a close eye on their weekly mileage, making sure there's no spikes in training. And if a flare up does happen, which is quite normal, we do have like a flare up kind of plan in place and making sure that we're still keeping them strong, keeping them engaged. And yeah, it can be quite healthy for a runner.
0: Now you say recreational runners. What about, you know, ultra runners when they're doing, Quite long distances. Does is it the case of more is better or not?
1: Still, it still counts as recreational runners. Like in that same study of 125,000 people, they did have a subcategory of elite runners, and their uh, their prevalence of osteoarthritis was 12. So they're actually higher than the sedentary type but what the elites were they classified elites as those who either represented their nation or those who are paid athletes so very very top tier so they're probably overworking themselves with enormous amounts of mileage and probably tipping the scale of like the the breakdown to repair kind of equation where Um, It's no longer stimulating bone growth. It's actually like been a bit too much and the recovery is a little bit less. And that's, that's my theory anyway. But when it comes to the endurance athletes, they all counted as recreational. So within that study that all counts as recreational. So I would recommend that you just don't overdo. You don't just really push your body uh, making sure if you do work high mileage and you are involved in the ultras that you do emphasise recovery and you do prioritise very heavily on sleep, nutrition and um, getting all that good stuff just to make sure that the body isn't breaking down and is building up and getting stronger as a result of it.
0: All all sensible things to do anyway. Sounds sensible,
1: doesn't it? Yeah,
0: sometimes it's not that easy to do though. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, myth number two, stretching helps lower the risk of injury and increases your performance or recovery
1: yeah yeah myth um we can bust that one so
0: thank god
1: this is yeah exactly because no runner likes stretching we all know this and uh, every time i talk to a runner and i'm like oh how's your running going they say they're injured and they say i know i probably should stretch more that's I, i hear it so so often and the the current evidence that are out there shows that static stretching or stretching in general doesn't do anything to reduce your risk of injury it doesn't do anything to increase your running performance there might be a small um some small studies out there that's that show that stretching outside of running so in your non-running days if you participate in yoga or something might do something to help recovery and might do something to aid performance but Mm. it's too small to really tell those with the really heavily weighted um studies like there's a mountain of evidence to show that there's not really much that um, comes in the way of reducing risk of injury or increasing um, performance. And it, in my mind, it kind of makes sense because as a runner, as a recreational runner, we're not putting ourselves through end of range too often. We're not the running action isn't really like a dancer or like a gymnast or um, like a swimmer with their shoulders or something like that. We're not really putting ourselves through end of range. But what we want to do before we run is prepare your body for what it's about to do so like the warm up preparation phase and if you're going for your weekend long run where you start off pretty cruisy anyway you don't really need to emphasize warming or pre- pre- preparing the body if you are doing like sprinting or if you're doing intervals or if you're doing hills or something like that you'd probably want to emphasize the warm up portion of it and what you do in that warm up as long as you prepare the body for what it's about to do. So you wouldn't go straight into a sprint. Like I've said, we need to be sensible. Um, but I also don't say not to stretch. What I do say is try stretching, try stretching a little bit, try stretching a lot, try dynamic, try foam rolling, try static, just trial and error, a whole bunch of these, and whatever you feel is really good for you, then that's what you go with. But try not to convince yourself otherwise of what it's trying to achieve so if I just go out for a weekend long run, I don't do any, I do, I stretch maybe five, 10 seconds per muscle group just because I feel better. If I'm doing an interval session, I'll focus on slowly building up my speed. I'll focus on doing a little bit more dynamic stretches, some a little bit of static stretches, but I'll prioritize that a little bit more. But like I said, we can't convince ourselves of what the, the stretching is actually doing. It, what, what we're doing is making ourselves feel better. And that's mm. the main reason. And If we have runners come to us and say, I'm injured, I know I'm injured, I know I keep getting injured because I don't stretch enough, what that is doing is putting a focus on stretching and taking our attention away from what's actually causing some injuries, which might be rapid changes in um training it might be doing too much too soon it might be they're under recovering um but they're not actually focusing on that because they have the belief that they just don't stretch and that's why they get injured and so that's why i stress the message and that's why i try to create a lot of this clarity and bust this myth because it can be very unhelpful when we're talking about focusing our attention towards injury prevention
0: Mm. So, so stretching can be good like if it helps you feel better and relaxes you and that sort of thing. It, there's no actual harm from it as long as you do it carefully. It's more it's not going to enhance your performance specifically.
1: It's it, it's definitely not harmful. You you can't really overstretch. Um similar like people believe if they stretch cold muscles that it's going to create some damage, it, it really won't. Your body is pretty resilient and your body does have these like little receptors inside the muscle that forbids you to stretch beyond its capabilities to, um, to strain or cause damage. So you're not really going to do too much. And it is similar to like massage and similar to a lot of those ideas that are out there around foam rolling massage balls, there are guns, all those sort of devices we're doing it to feel better and it could reduce our pain levels, but it's usually only just short-term. It's not really a long-term strategy, but we're just mainly doing it to make ourselves feel better.
0: Yep. All right. Myth number three, I should do endurance strength training to be better at endurance sports.
1: That makes sense, doesn't it? It's similar it to like the, yeah.
0: I've the heard osteoarthritis
1: that and it's, mm. yeah. Yeah um it's really hard to convince runners to start some strength training you've probably yeah. found that yourself yep and once they eventually get into the gym or once they're eventually convinced to start some strength training they start doing bodyweight stuff they start okay. doing their bodyweight calf raises lunges squats and it's usually in the high rep range it's usually yep. three sets of yep. 15 20 25 reps like really really high rep range really really light weights and The research, clear research has shown that if you want to improve running performance, you need to start emphasising heavier weights. We obviously need to do it in your capabilities, within your experience. Um, We don't want to jump straight in, do something that's too heavy for you because that's a sure sign of injury. We want to make sure that um, you're safe within the gym. You have the right technique. We slowly load you up so that you adapt and get stronger. But the emphasis should be to lift heavier somewhere around the eight to 12 rep range. So that when you do a squat, we load it up appropriately so that by rep 10 by rep 11, starting to get quite difficult. And um, by rep 12, you probably shouldn't be able to lift um, one or two reps more. So we're looking at that kind of heavier side of things, Um, put down the weights, rest for a couple of minutes and work your way through about four sets of those. The exercise itself doesn't, need to be too technical can be your simple calf raises i like to do calf raises with a bent knee as well squats lunges deadlifts um, very basic stuff but can be really beneficial for runners and running performance
0: yeah i'm a big believer in um, heavy strength training and um so how would you periodize it at all throughout a program or would you say you just do heavy the whole way
1: Uh, periodization depends on like the goals, like a runner has, it depends if they're training for a marathon or if they've got an ultra coming up, um, how much time we have to work on, but that would just depend on the individual, like their individual goals and their timeframes that they have available. But if we're, if it comes to busting the myth itself, like I I tend to think if you want to become a resilient runner, you kind of want to have three buckets that you want to fill up because the muscles and the tissues within the body that have these certain components. One is the endurance component. We will really want to fill up that bucket. The second being the strength bucket. We want to fill up your strength. And the third being power or like plyometrics, some, some mm. sort of quick release things. If we're filling up all those buckets and your body adapts to all those, you can throw a lot at your body and it it will hardly break down. And it's, you might find that someone's really, really strong. Someone, is an ultra marathoner and they can squat pretty heavy. But as soon as you do some like quick acting like rocket jumps or some really quick firing sort of stuff and do that through like a high intensity gym session and they they've broken down the next day, that's because we haven't really targeted the, the plyometric side of things, the quick releasing um, component. And so what runners often like, it doesn't make sense that if you were to train go out for a run, do your long runs. You're training that endurance. You're filling up that endurance bucket. And sometimes a lot of these runners, they have that endurance bucket filled to the brim. Then they go into the gym and they try train more endurance and they're just trying to fill up that bucket that they've already covered. When in the meantime, that plyometric and that strength bucket is hardly filled. So definitely uh, endurance is very important, but use your endurance for when you're running and doing all that running program, all that fun stuff that we love doing. While you're in the gym, you might as well spend some time addressing those other buckets in order to become more resilient. And there's tons of evidence to show heavy strength work helps with your running um, economy. It helps with how uh, how efficient you use your oxygen, um, how it's circulated and utilized throughout the body, which, is a big component when it comes to endurance performance. So marathon and ultra marathon performance, if you can work on your oxygen efficiency and your running economy, then you have a big advantage to all of your other components.
0: Yep. Sounds good. All right. What about the, the, the myth? I get injured because I have flat feet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I better Let's go out and one. get my
0: orthotics.
1: <laughs> yes. And this is like, we, we can, refer to a ton of studies that get a whole bunch of runners. Um, there was one that looked at a couple of thousand of runners and looked at their feet. They had a look at their type of feet. So there was over pronated, pronated neutral, supinated oversupinated, which is like all those five different types of categories. And they just got them to run the same mileage and saw who got injured first at what rate, that kind of thing. And they all got injured at the same rate. They all got put into a neutral shoe and they all got injured at the same rate. And if anything, the pronators got injured slightly less than all the other runners, even if they're all running at the same mileage um, and they have the same type of shoe. Most of running injuries are due to training errors. We know this. We, you, like your episodes, done ton of past episodes. I listened to your um, the one with Ryan Twist, the podiatrist, and we're all in agreement. It's it's training. It's acute training. It's too much too soon. It's you know spikes in load this is what people, this is what causes an injury. And sometimes it's on the under recover. So you either overtrain or you under recover, whatever, wherever that balance is. And it doesn't really matter in terms of technique. It doesn't really matter in terms of strength. It doesn't really matter in terms of foot shape. What does matter is pushing your body beyond its capabilities and pushing your body above its Uh, ability to adapt that's when things start breaking down and that's again that's what the research shows and it fits in with what the research shows
0: yeah so and obviously that's at a different level for everybody and that's what people need to work out for themselves isn't it as well or in conjunction with their coach i I do
1: think I do think there is some tailored advice we can have for people if they have a particular type of injury compared to their running style and compared to their strength. Um, But if we're looking at a global collective of runners, there's just no, there's zero correlation. But if we have say someone who comes in with knee pain and they've had knee issues for a very long time, then we have a look at their running and we see that they're, um, they're heel striking, they've got heavy shoes, they probably run at a low cadence. We can definitely start addressing their technique. We can definitely start manipulating some things. We can start wearing lighter shoes. We can mm-hmm. start, um, yeah, uh, elevating their cadence because the research shows that the the load will dissipate away from the knee. Sometimes it could uh, just increasing your cadence by ten percent can reduce the loads on your knee by twenty wow. percent. So that's enormous. But yeah. it just we're not reducing the overall load. It's just moving somewhere else. So it can move to the achilles it can move to the foot it can move higher up into the hip um so when we're talking about pronation which is the the myth we kind of started off with the um if someone does have say plantar fasciitis and we do look at their their ankles and they do have say a narrow step width or they're running with um flimsier shoes like less supportive shoes Sometimes making slight adjustments, maybe changing their cadence, making these slight adjustments can be helpful for their recovery, but then they can probably revert back to their old technique or their old shoes, but Mm. just avoid their spikes in training. So yeah, it can apply to the individual as well.
0: Yep. All right. What about the shoe you need depends on your foot shape.
1: Yeah. And this is like a common experience when people walk into a shoe store, like they, they say I need new shoes. Okay, let's have a look. And they look at their foot uh, shape. They look at the foot shape and say, "Okay, um, you're a flat foot, neutral foot, high arch." And then they straight away go to the shoes and be like, "This is what you'll thrive in." And they try and correlate the shoe, uh, the foot shape, with the shoe type and say, "This is what you'll thrive in."
0: And, um, that, and that makes sense. And
1: I, it does. All of these yeah. make sense. This is why yeah. they all exist. And we've all seen the, the marketing kind of. Um, mm. the collapsing arch, the collapsing foot and the bowing of the Achilles and how everything falls out of place. And then they've put into a support issue or they're put into an orthotic and everything magically aligns. And you've got that side-by-side comparison and it all just makes sense. And it, mm. they make billions of dollars on it. Uh, but again, because we know that people get injured because of spikes in training or exceeding their load capacities, um, it just doesn't show up. And when it comes to foot, or shoe prescription, we know that you're most you're most likely going to thrive in a shoe that you find most comfortable, and that might be supportive shoes for someone who does have low arches. But some another an identical runner with low arches won't thrive in someone with supportive shoes. So there's zero correlation between shoe the uh, shoe type and foot shape. And what I do recommend for my runners is to try a whole bunch of different ones. Make sure you try supportive, make sure you try not so supportive, light, heavy, whatever have you, the type of heel drops, just find what, uh, what fits most comfortable for you. Go for a run in those shoes, whatever you find more comfortable in, that's what you're going to thrive particularly in. Uh, however, if you do, try and transition to a different type of shoe, make sure it's gradual, make sure you're not just straight away going into something that's a bit more barefoot than what you're used to. Cause that's a surefire way of injury as well. Mm. Um, but I think Ryan twist, the podiatrist he had on kind of was agreeing the same thing. He um, talked about things like comfort and like everyone thriving in a different type of shoe. And there's no real correlation between um, like a type of runner and a type of shoe did mention something along the lines of, um, different types of shoes for different abilities if you're going to a trail or if you're going to do a track there's there's different um I guess the shoe serves different purposes a different type of shoe serves a different purpose but yeah don't be fooled if you go into a shoe store and they say you've got flat feet you need this type of shoe
0: yep yeah what's comfortable is always the best because you know you you want your feet to be comfortable (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: absolutely and that that takes us to the the point as well of like how often you should change shoes Mm. as well and often i say if it starts to lose comfort like if it starts to become uncomfortable to run in those shoes then they're probably getting a bit too worn out but that that's quite a long way down the road um, Mm. before they start becoming uncomfortable I, i often have three three reasons why you should change your shoes. One, if there's real significant wear and tear. So if there's really significant wear of the sole underneath, and Mm. sometimes if the rubber kind of uh, wears through to kind of the midsole. So like that, that the fabric kind of changes color or changes um, texture. That's very excessive. You should probably change your shoes then, or if you've got holes in your shoes underneath, you should probably change them then. Um, If they become too uncomfortable, then that's the second one. They should change shoes. And the third is if, they're so worn out that they change your biomechanics too acutely. Like if they start to change how you're running, definitely get them changed. So those are the three reasons why that's in my opinion, but they're the three reasons why I think people, people change shoes.
0: No, I mean, I, I personally like wear a variety of different shoes. Like of my road shoes, I have a few different brands of my trail shoes, a few different brands, because I think it's good for my feet to be or helps them running in different shoes
1: is that is that a myth um no like i personally like changing types of shoes as well Mm. i think if you have ones that have more support if you have ones that don't have much support if you have ones that are lighter if you have ones Mm. that have a a different heel drop what you're doing is you're adapting to all those shoes and you're essentially becoming a more resilient runner you're essentially training different things training different Mm. components uh and as long as you make sure that you are, you have adapted to those shoes and you haven't made a drastic change in something, then you're going to be safe and you're going to be a bit more resilient. You've kind of um, keeping the body guessing in a way. And it'd be the similar, if someone wants to do a gym routine and they have the same gym routine that they go through every single time they get strong that and they're quite capable. But then if you give them like a, a change in direction or a lateral movement or something that they're not designed for, If they do that too often, then they're going to break down just because they're not used to that change, not used to that different direction, um, the different forces of the muscles, Mm. that kind of thing. A a running shoe can be very similar. You can, um, as long as you adapt to a whole variety, then your body's going to adapt to variety, which is what we want for resilience. But also, if you're very smart about it and you know the different types of shoes, and I do this um, uh, frequently as well, you can use your shoe the different types of shoes as a tool. So if on a particular day, your calves are getting a little bit tight, then you'd wear like the supportive ones or ones with a higher heel um, heel raise to take load off of the, the calf and the Achilles. If you wanted to, if your knee's a particular sore on a day or you don't want to overload your knees on a particular day, then you go with the lighter shoes and because um, evidence shows that lighter shoes help reduce uh, loads through the knee. Uh, if you wanted to, on a particular day, try and run fast, try and do a PB, try and do things, we show evidence has shown that a lighter shoe helps increase performance. So you're using your shoes as different tools and during certain circumstances, which can be extremely helpful.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, that's always been my theory behind it all, too. So I'm glad to hear that it's not a myth that I've been <laughs> perpetuating. <Yeah. laughs> um, okay, myth number six I should completely rest my injury and let it heal.
1: Yeah. I go on about this all the time and it's a big mistake because like all these, they make sense. Like if you're injured, it makes sense to rest and let your body heal and that kind of thing. But it's often like, I think stress fractures would be the one exception to this rule. If you do elicit some sort of bony stress, you do need to significantly offload it. If you have a stress fracture, you do need to take a significant amount of time off to let that body, uh, let that body part heal. But if you have things like a tendonopathy, if you have things like plantar fasciitis, if you have, say, knee pain, like a runner's knee, complete rest is very rarely the solution. And you will definitely need to back off your mileage if you've had an increase, in a spike in training. We definitely need to back off. But this introduces what I call the pain rest weakness downward spiral. And it is a runner, has a spike in training, they have whatever structuralists say it's the tendon, the tendon flares up and becomes quite sensitive. And while that tendon is sensitive, it can't tolerate the same levels of load that it used to. So it actually becomes weaker. It can tolerate less. So it becomes weaker. And if it's inflamed and people think they need to take rest, they completely rest. And let's say for a week and they decide the body's going to heal in a week. Let me try and see how it feels. But you're combating a weak structure with complete rest which generates more weakness and Mm. so in a week's time when you go back to running um, and you do your usual 5ks and it flares up again because it's weak because it flares up again becomes more sensitive able to tolerate less load and then you think you're you interpret it's just not healed yet i need more time so then you take another week or two off and then after uh, in a blink of an eye you've got you've had three weeks of no running it's extremely sore and sensitive and it's just completely weak and then you're like oh maybe i'll just go for a a small a light jog maybe i'll just do a light jog and maybe that exceeds it and then it becomes flared up and you're just continuing down this downward spiral where you're tolerating less and less and less over the course it's getting weaker 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 and becomes more and more painful and plantar fasciitis is a big one when it comes to this tendons are a big one um knee pain is a big one so this myth of let me just completely rest is often unhelpful but does need like the right guidance you do need like a health professional someone to guide you through what you can tolerate or interpreting the right type of symptoms um, or what where your starting point actually is and just doing the right things from day one day two day three um this is the the whole idea around my podcast the the run smarter podcast making smarter training decisions And if you do have niggles or you do have an injury arise day one, this is exactly what you need to do day one, day two, day three. So it turns into a five day injury instead of a five month injury.
0: Now you, you spoke about deloading. What about those runners who have sort of constant niggles and they can't, can constantly deload. What what happens if, if there's someone who seems to be always having one niggle after another?
1: Uh, I'd question their recovery. I'd question their training loads. I'd question a couple of things. Mm. Um, if it's constantly one type of area, like a common one would be your middle-aged male who constantly gets calf strains, just Mm. constantly gets calf strains. And it's recovered for a couple of weeks and it's gone again. It's gone again. You know, um, I'd question if it's a weak link, if there's strength that needs to be addressed, if they have a particular weak link within that kinetic chain, um, but if they are looking quite strong and they're still getting niggles here and there, I'd make sure, okay, since you're operating at such a high mileage, you obviously know that we need to uh, prioritize recovery, right? <laughs> uh, we need to make sure that we have good quality sleep. We need to make sure that we have quality nutrition. I want to make sure that um, if there are particular times of stress, unavoidable necessary moments of stress, we don't build up high mileage in that particular week, Um hmm. These are the decisions that we need to make. And if you're constantly getting niggles, I would try and make sure all those boxes are ticked. Um, if those boxes are ticked, then we need to start looking at things like um, just interpreting symptoms, making sure that where um, our individual maybe shoes or style, like maybe your running technique might need to be tweaked here and there. Maybe they need slightly uh, higher cadence or something like that. But niggle, if you're getting constant niggles, it's not a normal thing. Mm. If you're operating at really high mileage, if you're an ultra runner, you are definitely going to get niggles, but we learn from them. We overcome them with like action steps. And if another niggle arises somewhere else, then we, we kind of like um, start putting out fires. But if it's constantly happening, then we definitely need to look at your overall intensity or your overall recovery and see if we're, yeah, we're meeting those standards.
0: It's amazing how so much of it really just relates back to recovery. And it's the one thing that many runners struggle with incorporating the most.
1: Yeah. overtrain or under It's going to be one of those. Yeah. Um, an acute change or under And most of the time in the marathon scene, like in the ultra kind of scene, they're usually used to building up a big base. And they're usually used to slowly progressing through their mileage or slowly building up and adapting that way. Um, but they do need to re- recognize that the more and more mileage you do, the more and more you need to prioritize recovery, and you need to prioritize a good night's sleep. And like I said, sometimes you get a job promotion, you have a newborn baby, you move house, and it's usually associated with stress, poor quality sleep, um, th- those sort of things. They're unavoidable, but we need to recognize that in those moments whether it takes like a week or two, we we recognize that and don't spend those weeks doing that high mileage or those intense training sessions. We take a relative time off. And then when you're back to sleeping well, when you're back to eating well, and you're not constantly stressed, that's when we can start building up the mileage and building up the the higher intensity kind of sessions.
0: Mm -hmm. Can I ask a sort of segue into this question? During COVID, are you seeing more or less injuries because of you know, people have more time for running, um, but they also have more time for recovery and certainly more sleep and that sort of stuff. So, are you seeing a, a rise or a fall in injuries?
1: Um, I'm seeing a rise in running related injuries, but they're from people just starting to run. They're from like yep. the new runners, and that's because their gyms are shut down mm-hmm. and they, they want to still maintain fitness and they tried to buy all the gym equipment, but that's all sold out. So they don't have any other option um, unless they decide to pump up their tires on their bike. But I've had some people be like, yeah, I just decided, I haven't ran for 15 years. I used to run when I was like younger, but I've just been doing gym and gym classes and now they're all closed. So I just decided to go out the door and see how far I can run and how fast I can run. And I'm just like, no wonder you've got bilateral calf strains. Um, You've just (laughs) pretty much just tried to challenge your body and put yourself through way too much. And that's, so I have seen that population, kind of the the non-runners go out there. Um, uh, That would be like a a general uptick. (laughs) Uh, The runners, like, I haven't seen a lot of people take a lot of time to enhance recovery, I think, in general, they know that recovery is important, but the practical applications are actually like implementing the smart decisions
0: yeah.
1: isn't necessarily there. But um, yeah, so during COVID, I'd say that the the injuries have definitely climbed up um, because yeah. time availability and just deciding to get out running. But like, yeah, people rarely prioritize. They don't say yes, more time to recover. They usually (laughs) don't do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I just thought um, it just was wondering. I I had all right. Myth number seven, I have chronic pain because there is still tissue damage that hasn't healed yet.
1: Oh yeah, I could, this could be a whole episode in itself because we, we touch onto some pretty technical integrated kind of concepts. And I have, three episodes on my podcast totally dedicated to pain science and um, why people experience pain. And the first lesson that people can learn is that all pain is generated from the brain. It's not generated from your um, peripherals or your tissues. It's all generated from the brain and the brain decides when there will be pain and the brain decides at what intensity and what severity the pain should become looking at the the tissues, like if you inflame uh, or if you overload a tendon, if you strain a muscle, if you um, let's say you tear some cartilage or a meniscus or something, the body heals. The the body um, takes anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of months to heal depending on the blood flow to that area. Like there could be some ligaments that don't get a lot of blood flow. They take a little bit longer, but tendons muscles are very rich in blood. And so, they heal a lot quicker. So, I, But as we know, it sometimes takes weeks, months. Sometimes people persist with pain for years and years and years. When we do scans and we find that there's no damage, like it's already been healed, but they still experience pain. Um, a lot can be said for low back pain and the scans they do. And, there's no correlation between the, what they're seeing on the scans and the amount of pain or symptoms that someone's encountering. And so what's happening is during an injury, let's just say you've had a calf strain because you've overloaded yourself because you did some Hill sprints or something like that. Um, Your brain tends to learn in those early days that certain things cause pain. So running might cause pain, doing Hills might cause pain, um, running in bare feet or like minimalist shoes might cause pain. And the brain tends to evaluate these things and create beliefs around um, what what generates pain. And the brain's a, a, an amazing thing. It wants you to go away from danger. And so that's when it sends pain signals. It's for your survival. Uh, as the injury goes on and as pain starts to generate, if you start to create the beliefs of, maybe running is dangerous for me or hills are dangerous for me or um maybe my injury hasn't healed yet if that belief is still in there what's the brain going to think as soon as you start running it's going to think what are you doing this is dangerous and without there actually being a physical tear or anything that's involved with your anatomy the brain's going to say we're in danger i'm going to send pain signals and that's where we get chronic pain especially it's amplified if the rehab is inadequate. If you haven't really built up the confidence or if you haven't been educated the right way, if you haven't been told that it's healthy to load a certain Mm -hmm. joint, it's okay to get back into running. Let's build up some strength to generate your confidence. Um, That can be the like implementing these things can be really nice to settle down the brain and reevaluate things. But if it's associated with a lot of anxiety, a lot of like depression, if you're um, if you're no longer doing what you love and you're being put away from running if you have these beliefs that running is dangerous or my, my tendon hasn't healed yet, or um, maybe there's something else wrong with me. There's not a diagnosis. I had these scans and they showed nothing. What's wrong with me. I don't have these answers and there's a whole lot of puzzling confusion that elevates the threat and that um, the brain, you know, processes all those beliefs and all those anxieties and all those thoughts. And then we'll start continuing to implement a lot of um, pain. So it's a long winded answer, but when it comes to the myth of a chronic pain means that my, um, the tissues and the injury itself hasn't healed yet. There's a lot of pain science and a lot of research to show that the, the injury itself is healed. The pain is still there. You're not making it up, but it's mm. just because the brain, we haven't worked on your confidence. We haven't educated you the right way. Your rehab has been inadequate and the the brain is just delivering pain because it still perceives whatever you're trying to return back to as a threat.
0: So how do we get out of that?
1: Yeah, good question. So it depends on the individual. Like I said, if they do have um, maybe unhelpful beliefs, if they think that they're just not ready, if they think their tendon is about to snap because Mm -hmm. it hasn't healed yet, if they think that, um, let's just say, they shouldn't be, like if it's low back pain, if they've been told that they shouldn't be lifting for the rest of their life, if they've been told that running's bad for your knees, like why the hell are you running running's bad for your knees? And they create that belief. Um, that's obviously one component that needs to be addressed. So just the right education, the second being confidence, like building up your level of confidence. Cause often people think when it comes to tendons, they've been told that tendons don't heal. They've been told that if you overdo it, your tendon will snap. They've just like created this language and been told this language that's very very unhelpful and people can catastrophize a lot of um this return back to sport or return back to running um so that needs to be addressed as well so a lot of it is addressing the psychological component but then we can address with physical components we can have a really um small stepping stone like into place so let's just say you have calf strains and you're really worried about going back to running and you get all this pain as soon as you start hopping or if you start um, jogging on the spot, we can say, okay, well, let's just start with some calf raises, double leg calf raises, nice and easy on a step. How does that feel? Are you getting any pain? Um, let's just say they're getting one or two out of 10 pain. Actually, that that's a pretty good level of pain. We're, we're really happy with that because it means that we're challenging the structures, but it's not flaring up to a four or five out of 10 pain. Um, then we go from, double leg calf raises to single leg calf raises to weighted single leg calf raises. We do them a little bit quicker. And then we go from that. Then we go to double leg, just jumping on the spot. How does that feel? And then we slowly work their way up this progression ladder to the jogging on the spot. And then they may be skipping, then they may be just doing some walk run kind of like intervals, one minute on one minute off kind of things. And we're just slowly integrating them back to where they want to get to and in that process, not only are we um, allowing the tissues time to adapt and build back up to where they were, but that same process calms down the mind, it increases your confidence, and becomes just that little bit of evidence that the brain needs to be like, "Oh, this is cool. I can, I can manage this, I can handle this, and there's no pain, there's no flare up. Mm. I'm not causing more damage. And then all those steps in that ladder um, just returns you back to running and, chronic pain is a, a difficult one. It's we're not just necessarily working on the injury. We're working on the, the individual. And that's where it's no longer just rehab. It's like dealing with the psychological side of things. And just like lastly, any other concerns that they have any other questions that, or that are puzzling them, make sure that it's all out there. Make sure they have the right answers. Because I always say, if you go see a physio, make sure you ask the right questions mm-hmm. and make sure that you understand the answers because it's very hard for someone who's maybe a little bit timid to like voice up and be like, so what's actually wrong with me? Or what's my plan of action? Um, Sometimes it's very uncomfortable for people to do that. But if Mm. then the therapist replies with a really complicated um, over the top kind of answer, and you're still a little bit puzzled with the answer, you're then again too shy to reconfirm or like reiterate your question And that's a big sign for the brain just to be like, what the hell are we doing? We have no plan of action. We don't even know what's going on. We don't have a diagnosis. Um, Yeah. And they're just like puzzled the whole entire time. That's never a good thing. So make sure you're asking the right questions, make sure you you get the right answers and that you understand the right answers and yeah, make sure that your recovery is active, making sure you're empowering yourself and not just relying on a therapist that does massage or dry kneeling. And that's it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that's empowering you along the way. And that's how we tend to manage chronic pain. And, yeah, hopefully that was a very and, long-winded and answer. No, no. And, like and basically I said, also,
0: <laughs> what I'm getting from that also is I know sometimes people feel embarrassed to ask questions because they don't want to look silly or, or like they're being a hypochondriac or something. But, you know, as a physio, you're saying ask those questions. It's it's Okay.
1: Of course. Yeah. Mm. And like I said, I've done, I did three episodes on pain science in my own podcast. So I'm trying to like just jump it all into like a a five minute answer, but exactly right. As long as you have clarity and it's it's your body and you're trying to recover yourself, you need the right answers. And um, you need to even just like, if they give you a treatment plan and you say like, is this evidence-based just like a question like that, like it's, it's your body and it's Mm. uh, it's your pain. So you should have full responsibility and you should be empowered and yeah, walk away with a lot of confidence.
0: Yep. No, that sounds good. All right. Well, that was um, quite a few uh, running myths that we busted there. Thank you so much for that and <laughs> for sharing your knowledge with us. And I hope people have gotten a lot out of that. Uh, where can people go to You obviously you've got your run smarter podcast. Where else can they find you?
1: Yeah. So um, I am active on social media. I'm probably most active on Instagram. So my yeah. handle is run smarter series yeah. and uh, so that's the handle, but I do recommend like the, f- the first call to action would be to check out the podcast, but definitely check out the first 10 episodes of the podcast. So the first 10 cover the 10 principles to overcome any injury and we've covered a lot of the principles like the the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral that we talked about today. That's just yeah. one component that I mentioned in these 10. And uh, that's what people should go to before they scroll through all the other episodes and find what's relevant for them. Cause there's injury specific stuff as well. Um, and interviews with like researchers and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah uh, if you, like instagram you like following people's um social media content then you can go there um and then just natural progression if you want to reach out to me through social media if you have any other questions then um we can talk about it specifically and see if you want to do some online physio if it's necessary to do some online physio Um, we'll just take it from there
0: sounds good all right well thank you so much i really appreciate your time thanks isabel see ya Well, I hope that interview busted some myths for you. If you know me, you'll know that I especially love the not needing to stretch concept. I just get too tired of an evening and can't be bothered. How about you? What myths were you glad to have busted? Next episode is an interview with Scott Douglas, author of Running Is My Therapy. Have a great week. Train smart and race hard.